This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. everybody. It's good to be in church on a chilly Sunday night. Consensus seasons are shifting. Amen. Welcome to all of those of you that are watching online. You're more than welcome. We're finding ourselves right in the throes of a series entitled The Beatitudes. It's a nine-part series. And Pastor Johnny preached last week on meekness, not being weakness, and that meekness is a spiritual state. And this Beatitudes are taken from the book of Matthew. Now, Let's not be mistaken into thinking that because it's only recorded in Matthew that Jesus preached this message only once. He preached the kingdom wherever he went. But why we're choosing the book of Matthew is specifically because it's so relevant to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, many people strike the gospels as not being relevant to the church because it was before the cross. But the gospels are eternally relevant. Can someone say amen? In actual fact, in the gospel of Matthew, the word church is the only gospel that the word church is mentioned in. And it's mentioned twice, both in a church context singular, but also in a church context globally. I don't have time to get into that, but if you were wondering why the gospels, how relevant are they to the church, I want you to know that they are eternally relevant and it's the wisdom of God for the church. If you can imagine, I'll set the stage. Jesus has not birthed the church yet. That takes place in the book of Acts. But he certainly is laying a foundation for the people that are going to become part of the church. And if you can imagine, what is, if it was the first time you were being, you were being exposed to a group of people, what would be your message? You'd want to set down the foundation of what the future was going to look like, right? What Christians should believe, how Christians should behave, what should their moral standard be? Who should their dependence be upon? And so that's why we've chosen the Beatitudes from Matthew, and that's what we're going to be spending this time with us this evening. So let me open up in prayer, and then we'll tackle the word. We'll get into it straight away. Father, we come before you this evening in the wonderful name of Jesus. We thank you for this time we could spend together in your word. Thank you for this incredible message, the Beatitudes, where you taught what the blessed man should truly look like what the blessed man and how his life should be lived. And we just want to thank you for your word. I pray, Lord God, that it would cause faith to rise in every heart, dispelling every fear. I thank you for the privilege I have. Anoint me as a teacher tonight to teach your word with boldness and with clarity. And all those who love the Lord said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm tackling the fourth beatitude tonight. And it comes from the book of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I hope you have your Bibles with you this evening. Uh, we bring our Bibles to church. In my case, I bring my Bible and my glasses. But if you're not at that age, you just bring your Bible along with you. But bring your Bible. If you want the notes, the notes are available in the, the church app. So you can download it. All the scriptures are right there. I'd like to start off with this disclaimer. 
by saying simply this, that I wish tonight I was, in a, I was in a greater level of authority, in a position of authority, to be able to teach on the subject. But I think regardless of where you find yourself spiritually, your life goes through ebbs and flows. It goes through highs and lows. How many of you will agree with me that you are not on fire all the time? Can I see your hands? Amen? I mean, when I read this verse, blessed are those empowered to prosper or these type of people really live a blessed life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. How many of you will admit that you don't wake up every morning of your life hungering and thirsting for righteousness the way you might do for Cocoa Pops? How many of you, am I, am I in good company? So the point I'm trying to make is I wish that I was standing on this pulpit tonight as a man of God who said, listen, every waking moment of my life, I hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God because God promised that I would be filled. No, I'm a man just like you. And tonight I'm gonna be learning just like you. In actual fact, in preparation of this message, I felt exactly the same way you are gonna feel tonight, filled with hope that the Lord can make up for our shortcomings and can fill us if only we will be hungry for Him. So I pray tonight this message will really bless you. And I wanna say this, that tonight's message really does have the potential to completely transform your life. I know many people say that many times, but I've already sensed such a stirring in my heart as I've been preparing this message, and my prayer really is that the Lord would do exactly the same thing for you tonight. If you have to be honest with yourself at the start of this message and just simply answer this question, how hungry and how thirsty are you for God's righteousness? I'm gonna be teaching on the definition of righteousness a bit later on. It's something a bit different to just hungering and thirsting for God himself. But I think we have to start off at that point and say, listen, how hungry do I currently find myself? You must be pretty hungry because you've come out in the rain. There's a lot of people that didn't come out tonight. So you must be, you must be pretty hungry. I'm in, I'm in really good company. So Matthew 5 verse 6 says, Blessed are those, Jesus is speaking, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, it reads as follows from the Living Bible. Happy are those who long to be just and good. I like that translation. Happy are those who long to be just. How many of you want to get better all the time? Can I see your hands? Now, we know that we get better by the grace of God. It's not by our own doing, but we want to, we want to be good people, right? And this is what the Bible says. The people that long to be just and good are happy. Look at what it says. For they shall be completely satisfied. I want you to know, Tonight's message is dedicated to all those people out there that are not completely satisfied with where you are in God and where you are in life. Every single person that is not completely satisfied, I'm dedicating this message to you tonight. Matthew chapter five and verse six in the NCV translation reads as follows. Those who want to do right more than anything else are happy. Why? Because God will fully, fully satisfy them. Perhaps you are here tonight and you're watching online and you've been doing, li doing life and doing what you need to do, but you've come up way short on the satisfaction scale. Perhaps you feel a bit of righteous dissatisfaction. Perhaps you feel a little bit 
discontented and knowing that something's not right. Your wheel alignment's just a little bit off, and you'll know anything if you know about vehicles, is that when your wheel alignment's off, you're always fighting to stay in the wrong direction. It's almost like the car's always wanting to pull to the left or pull to the right, and you're always trying to center it. It's stressful driving like that. Perhaps that's you here tonight, or you watching online. Well, you've come to the right place. This message is just for you. You'll notice in all of these translations, Jesus uses the metaphor of hunger and thirst, intentionally so. This has happened many times with me personally. I'm hungry, I come to the fridge and I open it up, and there's a whole bunch of stuff in the fridge, but nothing there really grabs my fancy. I'm hungry, but I really don't know for what. How many of you have ever been there before? I mean, you're hungry, but there's just nothing that really, that really just stands out for you. And if you can find that thing sometimes that stands out for you, oh, happy day. So the Lord uses this metaphor of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And I looked in the Bible for a man that I thought fitted this description, and he happened to be the second wisest person that ever lived, and that was King Solomon. Now, we know Solomon wrote the, most of the Proverbs, but then he also wrote this melancholy book, or Pastor Jody, Melancholy. Um, wrote, this, wrote, this, wrote this melancholy book of Ecclesiastes. I mean, I've said to my wife before, if I'm in such a good mood, I mean, and I just can't come down off it, I'm just really feeling so good, so positive, what I do is I pick up the book of Ecclesiastes just to bring a bit of, just to bring a bit of balance. You know, just, Ecclesiastes is just one of those books. And so Ecclesiastes, for me, paints the picture of Solomon in front of the fridge. He's hungry. He just doesn't know for what. And because he doesn't know what he's really hungry for, he starts trying all these different things. And let me tell you folks tonight, each and every one of us has a book of Ecclesiastes that we could write, where we've tried to fill up our cup with something that only the Spirit of God can do for us. We try all these alternatives. So, so check this out. The first thing that Solomon does is he writes 12 chapters, and it's all about him coming up empty. In the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, he pursues knowledge or education. In a modern day context, he thinks to himself, if I could just get my articles done and dusted, if I could just become an electrician, if I could qualify as a lift inspector, Pedro, if I could just get all these qualifications done, I would have arrived. And this is what he says in Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 18. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge the more grief. And you can speak to many people. I've got many close friends who are on fire for God, and I'm talking about in a Christian theological perspective. They went off to seminary. The more they learned, the more miserable they became. It's almost like it sucked the joy right out of them. And a lot can be said. I mean, how many of you have ever seen a really happy professor? I mean, a jovial professor. The guys all have their, their glasses on, their, on the tip of their nose and they're always looking down at you like this. You never find a professor, very rarely, walking into a class going, hey, it's good to be educated today, you know? So Solomon looked at this fridge and he thought, I'm I'm hungry for something. Well, let me gain a lot more knowledge. Let me gain a lot more wisdom. But he says the end was grief. I mean, he's the guy that stood in front of the fridge and had tried everything up until that point. He got his degrees, he got his education. The wisest man that ever lived that could solve any problem, yet he was miserable. 
He describes himself as being in a state of grief. And let me say to you today, if you're studying or you think that your studies are going to be the ultimate end cause of your life, and you can't wait for that to be the culmination and for you to succeed, you're going to come out like Solomon, and you're going to end up in grief. In actual fact, at the end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says this, Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 12, of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. I used that scripture a lot when I was in school with my father. (laughs) I said, Pop, if you want me to become frail, force me to study. (laughs) In chapter two, Solomon goes on to think that, listen, a career is what's gonna do it. He studied, that didn't work, and ended up in grief. He thinks, you know what? I'll get a good career, I'll get a nice car, I'll set myself some high goals, I'll go on some great vacations. And this is how he words it in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 10 and 11. He said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Can you imagine being in a place where everything you see, you can have? Now, for many of us, we're looking at and thinking, gee, that's about as close to heaven as you're gonna get. Hey, Pastor Greg, new trailer, new four by four, new this. You think to yourself, if you see it, you can afford it and you can abide. Bono, how many of you know who Bono is? The lead singer of U2. Now, U2 is worth, their net worth is worth 1.8 billion US dollars. Bono's value or his net worth is over 700 million US dollars. This man qualifies to speak about morality in the sense that he sang the song, I have still not found what I'm looking for. I've achieved all the success. Solomon was like this. He says, I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart, no pleasure. My heart took delight, look at this, in all my labor. He became a hard worker. And this was the reward for my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. He tried education, he tried a really, really great job with a good income where he could have everything. He eventually became a workaholic. He writes further on in chapter two how he actually began to hate Mondays, in other words. Solomon got to the point where he worked so hard, he couldn't wait for Fridays. Look at what he says in Ecclesiastes 2, 17 and 18. He says, so I hated my life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun. Why? Because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. He thought I'm working my tush off only to leave it for someone else who's gonna enjoy it and I'm not gonna enjoy it. I'd left enough for my children's 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 children. I'd worked so hard, but you see now, can you see this man's looking at the fridge? He's trying all these different things but nothing seems to be satisfying him. Then he tried investing. He thought to himself, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna use my money to make more money. If he was, if he was living today, he might've even got himself a Bitcoin app. 
He would have tried a bit of, he would have tried a bit of fiat currency, he would have tried a bit of Bitcoin, he would have tried a bit of, he would have, he would have been on the stock market, he would have been playing the stock market um, to see, I mean, that can become like a drug. For any of you that are doing it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The promise of a windfall tomorrow as the Rand dollar fluctuates, and I don't do that, but I know folks that do. So he tried investing or using his money to make more money. Getting a good stock trading app is what he would have perhaps have done. Then with that money, he would have got more stuff. And at the end of the day, he would have had to get more insurance to protect the stuff that he just bought. It's amazing, young people go out and buy a car to the maximum amount of their budget. They don't do investigation on what the insurance is gonna be and then they end up finding that they fall way short. And they can only drive to work and back. They can't even take it out on the weekends because insurance premiums sucked up all that they had left. Ecclesiastes 5 verses 10 through 11 says the following, whoever loves money never has enough. And this was speaking from a man who had enough. This guy had bucks. Now we can either learn these lessons early by reading through Solomon or we can experience it ourselves. But let me tell you folks, Solomon promises us that the end result is always the same. Every single one of us in this room tonight are gonna come to the same conclusion. Hopefully, many of us can come to that conclusion tonight and we can get this thing right, amen? He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied. If only those who want to become wealthy would read that one line, that in wealth there is no satisfaction, not at all. There was a time when I was young working as an apprentice at South African Airways where I would dream of owning and earning what I own and what I earn today. Dreamt of it. And now I've arrived and guess what? Sometimes you think, you know, we're just a little bit more. <laughs> just a little bit more. We're all the same. We're all the same. Amen. He goes on to say, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As good increases, so do those, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? I mean, some people buy stuff just for looking for the sake of looking at it. He bought art. Solomon bought art. And everybody would sit around the table and go, ooh. Funny enough, I was having a conversation with someone I knew last night. And many years ago, about 10 years ago, I got myself a Mont Blanc pen. I use my Mont Blanc pen all the time. He got given a Mont Blanc pen, but it stays in his safe. So I said to him, you got a Mont Blanc pen, why? To stay in your... So we ended up having a good chuckle, and I love him very much, and he's here tonight, but we're having a good laugh about it, and you could see the penny drop for him, because I thought to myself, why then buy it? If it's going to sit in the safe, a pen is bought to be used. I mean, it's the same as buying a car and parking in the garage, and taking it out once every three years. I mean, you bought the car, what is your fear? It's going to depreciate, well, then you shouldn't have bought it in the first place. <laughs> I bought the car to go for a ride. Well, then drive the thing. Use it. What happens if it breaks? The Lord will provide you with finances for another one. But the truth is don't buy stuff and keep it in safes. You live one life. Live it. Use it. Trust the Lord for more. But I mean, don't just, and that's what Solomon was saying. He says, what, and, and what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on it? Getting all this wealth just to look at it. If you're not gonna use it, flog it and sow the money to someone who will use it, amen? Can I get an amen? amen? As king, he achieved fame and popularity. 
I mean, Solomon, if he was alive today, he would have been trending. He would have had the biggest YouTube channel, the biggest Facebook channel. He would have had a billion views a day, if anything. And you know, the reason I threw this into this verse is because, into this message is because there's so many people that are pursuing popularity and fame, trying to become social influencers, that it's consumed them. The kind of things that they will do and expose themselves to, to be posted on the internet, just so that people will recognize them and they can earn money, is sometimes nothing short of absolutely shameful. But Solomon achieved that. I mean, Solomon was the Kim Kardashian times 5,000 of his era, okay? And so listen what he said. He said, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. Yeah, you have a man who was trending. He wasn't alone, but yet he was desperately lonely. And if that wasn't enough, then he tried wine, woman, and song. When I read the next verse, I thought he couldn't have been that lonely. But anyway, in 1 Kings 11 verse 3, he had 700 wives. Pastor Tracy told me the other day, you know, Pastor Andre, you know why Solomon had 700 wives? Because there was a good chance if he woke up in the morning, one of them would be in a good mood. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Tracy didn't tell me that joke. I was hoping to pin it on someone, so she just happened to be the victim tonight, but that's a pretty good joke, right? <laughs> With 700 wives and 300 concubines, praise the Lord, you're gonna get up in the morning and one of them are gonna say, hey, honey, how's it going? So, <laughs> so now let's skip to the end of Solomon's life, or, or should I say to the end of Ecclesiastes, and this is the conclusion that we could either draw tonight or wait to live out like Solomon and try and fill this hunger that we have for the Lord with all the other different things that the world has to offer and it be too late. This is what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. The last and final word is this, fear God and just obey Him. Fear God and just obey him. Those two simple instructions. If only we would open the fridge and just fear the Lord and obey him and do what he tells us to do, everything would be different. Look what he says. He says, and that's it. Not complicated. Eventually, God will bring everything that we do into the open and judge it according to its hidden intent, whether good or evil. This is my final word. Fear the Lord, revere God, and just do what he says. In other words, sooner rather than later, you gotta start living the life that God intended for you because really only in that will there be satisfaction. Only in living the life that God created and intended you to live, and it's all wrapped up in that word righteousness, which we're gonna be getting to in a moment. But this is what St. Augustine said. He said, Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. As someone who loves God, you can try everything the world has on offer. You will never find joy, contentment, and peace. Try. Like I said, we've all got our own book of Ecclesiastes to, to write, and I think we all draw the same conclusions. So is there someone here tonight or someone that's watching online that would say, 
Pastor Andre, I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness. This is what Proverbs 21 verse 21 says. Whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. Whoever pursues righteousness, and we'll be getting to that word a bit later, but before we get there, I wanna specifically deal with two things that prevent us from living this blessed state of existence that the Bible speaks about. I'm talking about life, prosperity, and honor. And personally, I think honor is the most important of those three. Two things that prevent us from living this state, this blessed state that Jesus speaks of. And the first one is the reason we're not as hungry and as thirsty as we should be is because we fill up with the wrong things. You've eaten already. It's like my children used to come, mom and dad, can we have something before dinner? No, you'll wreck your dinner. They'd go sneak off and eat a box of biscuits. When dinner time come, they'd say, oh, we're not really that hungry. When the Lord wants to serve something up, he's expecting us to be hungry and thirsty, but what we've done is we've gone and filled up with a bit of junk. And that's why our hunger is not there. And, and that kind of junk could come in various different forms. Think about this for a moment on the things that are filling you up and perhaps diminishing your appetite for the word of God. Excessive Facebook, um, what do they call it? Scrolling or that kind of, it preoccupies your time. Perhaps a good mini series on Netflix or something like that, and, and that's, begun to, that's begun to rob you of your time. It gets your, it gets your dopamine levels really high up because it's exciting and it's got all this kind of stuff happening, and, and that's what happens with dopamine. And eventually, just a simple Bible reading becomes boring for you. You eventually have to go and maybe watch a program on the Bible or something like that. What are we doing that is quenching our hunger for really what God wants us to? And when the meal time comes and the dinner bell rings, we're just not that hungry. So we come and sit in church and we watch and we observe. We no longer participate. We just sit and watch in the service. So what would your book of Ecclesiastes or my book of Ecclesiastes look like? You see, sin, the Bible says, tastes good, tastes good for a season, but it never satisfies. Hebrews 11.25 it says this, Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to, to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Fleeting pleasures. Fleeting. We know they're fleeting. It's amazing. We know they're fleeting, but we still go back and try it again. It's like at the end of one series, you say, you know what, I can't wait for the series to be over because then I can change my life and then I can fix it up and now I'm gonna have more time to study the word, get more time to get involved and guess what, then another series comes out. Another good one that every your friends tell you it's even better than the last one. Is anybody out there? Okay, I'm just checking and I'm not speaking to myself. Look at this in Isaiah chapter 55 verses one and two. Such a powerful portion of scripture. The Lord says, all you who are thirsty, come and drink. All you who are thirsty, come and drink. So coming and drinking, the prerequisite must be that you are thirsty. And the question I think the Holy Spirit is asking us all tonight as we consider this beatitude of blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. The ones that will be filled are the ones that hunger and thirst. We're being confronted with this question, how thirsty are we? What have we been drinking from that has perhaps quenched our thirst a little? And so the Lord says, all you who are thirsty, come and drink. Those of you who do not have money, come. 
buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. It's amazing. The will of God doesn't cost us anything that in the carnal, in the carnal context costs us. He says here, he says, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on something that is not real food, Isaiah says. Why work for something that doesn't really, doesn't really satisfy you? Listen closely to me, and you will eat what is good. Your soul will enjoy the rich food that satisfies. Every single person in this room tonight, and those of you watching online, you've always, most of you have owned a new car or gone on a different vacation, and you thought, listen, when I get that thing, by the time I get back, I'll be sorted, I'll be happy, I'll be content. And you know that it's just chasing after the wind. And Solomon is getting us back to really what matters, what defines our life, and really what quenches that thirst, what satisfies that hunger. So that's the first thing. I think the reason why we don't is because we're, we're eating the wrong stuff. Secondly, I think it's because the only reason is that people have never experienced really what God has for them. The only reason someone would not want to take of the meal Jesus is encouraging us to partake of is for this reason, that they've never truly experienced the goodness of God. I'll never forget when sushi became a thing. Pastor Simon and Jenny, I think, were the first ones that won the sushi bandwagon. I didn't have time for it. Listen, sushi, one of the things you eat, it's, it's got seaweed around it. I mean, it's weeds, just from the sea. I didn't eat sushi. I'd rather go for a rum, rum steak, hey, Pastor John, with a bit of fat on it, with little roast baby potatoes, or something like that. I would have rather gone for something like that until they took us for sushi. And I looked at it and I thought, oh, you know what? They were blessing us. They were going to pay for it. So, you know what? I'm gonna, <laughs> if I'm going to have a bad meal, someone else must pay for it, not me. So, anyway. <laughs> So I'll never forget, and they took us to a decent sushi restaurant, and when I tasted sushi, oh, Jesus, I felt the anointing. You know what I'm saying? You know, I just, up until that time, if you tried to force me to have it, I wouldn't have had it. And you know, the truth is, many people don't have, don't want to eat what God has for them because it was served by someone who didn't know how to prepare it. They don't like what God has for them. They don't want to come to church because of something a pastor preached. They don't want to get involved in groups because of a horror story they heard. Let me tell you, man, Jesus said, the Lord says it this way in Psalm 34 verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. You might be here tonight and think, you know what, Pastor Andre, baptism's not really for me. I get to swim every weekend. I don't need another swim session in the you, you know what? It's because taste and See, you might be here tonight and say, you know, small groups is not really my thing. I'm an introverted person. Been that, done that, bought the t-shirt. Let me taste and see. Don't like, be like me that was so against sushi. I felt like I'd been robbed. I actually said to Pastor Simon, why? Why did you not bring me here years ago? Why? And if you can only taste what the Lord has for you, I promise you, that's the only two reasons. Number one, we're filling ourselves up with the wrong stuff. And number two, because we've not really got, we say at Christian Family Church, give us one year of your life. Just give us one year. Get involved wherever you can. Go do growth track. 
Uh, get baptized, do Christian growth seminar, get onto the dream team. We're saying, because the outworking of righteousness has to do with this part of participation. Give one year of your life to God. And at the end of the year, if you're saying to us, listen, serving in church, getting involved, coming to service, helping people, being involved in groups is really not my thing. We've never ever had anybody that's regretted committing their life to the Lord. Amen. You see, so some of us have rejected what the Lord is offering simply because some person served, because of how some people have served that food. And you know, for us as pastors, one of the biggest frustrations, one of the biggest frustrations, one of our greatest prayers is we just wanna see people grow. We wanna see people out of that cycle, hey, Pastor Johnny. We wanna see them going from being led to leading. We wanna see them going from attending growth track to bringing someone on growth track. We wanna see them going from being addicted now to helping someone get free of their addictions. That's what growth is. Growth takes you from a place of being led to a place of leading. And this is what Paul says in Ephesians, and we're gonna land this in a moment. He says, I pray that you may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, why? That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We pursue fullness ourselves. We want you, we wanna see each and every one of you filled with the Lord. And that's one of the goals of Christian Family Church is to see you not opening up that fridge and wondering what there is to eat, but diving in because we know exactly what we need. So the Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. What is righteousness? What is righteousness that the Lord says we should hunger and thirst for it? Now, righteousness is two things, not just one. Righteousness is more than just a right relationship with God. And we'll take a look at this in your notes. You can go with me to Romans chapter one, verses 17. Taking a look at what righteousness is first and foremost, it's the good news that shows how God makes people right with himself. So righteousness is a spiritual state of being right with God. The Bible says we ought to pursue that. The amazing thing about that is that it's a free gift from God. Can you imagine, and this is why it's difficult for us to grasp sometimes, because friendships for us take time, especially to build best friends. Myself and Pedro, I married Pedro and Candace, myself and Pedro have been friends for, for nearly 20 years. And it's been a friendship that's been built up over 20 years and it's got stronger over 20 years. There's very little he doesn't know about me, very little I don't know about him. In actual fact, the two of us share stuff with each other we wouldn't share with anybody else, but that took time. So this concept of Jesus dying on the cross and instantaneously purchasing for you a best friend in God is difficult for us to understand. And let me tell you, our friendship with the Lord may grow in respect to us with Him. But the moment we accept the gift of salvation, we become God's best friend. Matt, you become God's best friend. The day you get saved and you say, Jesus, I receive this free gift of right standing from that moment on. It does not mean that God is your best friend straight away. That's gonna take time. But you know what, Matt? He's your best friend. He knows everything about you. He knows what makes you glad, what makes you sad, what makes you mad. He knows your strengths and he knows your weaknesses. And because he's your best friend in your weakest times, he's there to hold you up. We won't just hold anybody up unless they 
our best friend. And so right standing, righteousness has these two phases. It has these two arms. Uh, Romans 3.25 says, we were made right with God when we believed that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. Look at this in Romans 5. It's so beautiful in the New Living Translation. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Can someone say, thank you, Jesus? There's not a person in this room tonight, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, that will be condemned when Jesus returns. Not one of us tonight, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, will be condemned. He goes on to say this, for since our friendship with God, oh, I know what it's like to have a true friend. And when I read this, folks, I can't honestly tell you that God's my best friend. I'd be lying to you if I did. I live my life and I sacrifice everything to Him. But He's my best friend. It would be cliche for me to say yes. But I know what true friends are like. And to think that God thinks that way about me, something I'm still aspiring to, yet when I wake up in the morning, the Lord says to the Holy Ghost, my best friend's waking up. My best, my best friend. Did you know that you were God's best friend? This is what Jesus is talking about. He says, hunger and thirst for this relationship. If only you knew how much God loved you, he says in Ephesians. He says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for an understanding of what your relationship has for you. He says, you shall be filled. There's gonna come a day, folks, where I'm gonna be able to stand on this platform and tell you, Jesus is my best friend. Jesus is my best friend. I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'll tell you honestly tonight, my wife is my best friend. My wife is my best friend. But there will come a day, he saved me, he redeemed me. There will come a day where I will say with purity of heart that Jesus is my best friend, but he doesn't wait for me to get to that state before he says to me, Andre, you're still mine. You're still mine. That's what makes him God and what makes me Andre. Hey? He still says, Andre, you're still mine. He's still mine. And he goes on to say, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship. That's what it's about. It's about relationship. For those of you who have been making church attendance a ritual and been doing, let me tell you, you don't have to attend church to be a Christian. You don't have to be attend church to be a Christian. But let me tell you, I'm married. I don't have to be at home to be married. But if I, stick, if I stay away from home long enough, yet what's gonna happen? This relationship ain't gonna work so good. This relationship ain't gonna work so good. I come to church because this is where the presence of the Lord is. This is where my brothers and sisters are. We're all a mixed bag of nuts, all of us. Yet we come together, warts and floors and all, and we come and raise our voice and say, Jesus, save us. We still love you. We worship you. We adore. It's just not the same when I do that at home. Regardless of the weather outside, it's just not the same. So he says, so now we can rejoice in this wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us. Look at this. Jesus made us friends of God. You see, folks, we are made right with God by coming into a relationship with Him. That's one way of knowing how you are right with God is are you in a relationship with Him? Not ritualistic, 
not a religion. Are you in a relationship with him? So that's the first thing. Righteousness is relationship. It's given to us by God. That friendship is given to us. The second thing is right living on earth. And this is where many people stop the teaching. Right living on earth. It's become cliche almost today, especially with young people. Well, actually not just young people, young and old alike. They say, well, I'm living my truth. I'm living my truth. You know, I don't argue with people like that. When people want to come and debate how they want to live their lives contrary to the Bible, you know what I do? I don't even argue with them. I say, okay, try your way. Go ahead. Try your way. Do that. Let the world do its work on you. But there's going to come a time where you're going to realize, like Solomon, that listen, the opposite sex is not going to provide the joy you need. The booze is not going to provide the lasting satisfaction you need. The work you've got, no matter how much money you amass, is not going to provide the life you need. You're going to come back to Jesus because unfortunately for you or fortunately for you, God's got your number. So righteousness isn't just about relationship. Righteousness, look in here at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. It says, there is a way that appears right, but in the end leads to death. There are people out there that think they have no responsibility in conforming or changing the way they act towards the world that's lost out there. But you see, righteousness, that's why the Bible says, if you give, the Lord will increase the fruits of your righteousness. Relationship righteousness bears fruit. And so we have a responsibility in hungering and pursuing and thirsting for, for righteousness means that our friendship with God should be pursued. But secondly, helping others, doing something within the church, within the body of Jesus Christ. If you don't want to do it God's way, it will lead to death. It will lead to death of your dreams, death to everything, death to contentment, death to relationships. You see, we have right living on earth by pursuing the lifestyle that God intends for us. You start settling for other meals, guess what? Eventually it affects your health. Physically, you start eating on other stuff that God didn't intend for you. It's going to affect your health spiritually. Hunger and thirsting for righteousness. And let me say this, culture may be shifting, but we won't dare shift with it. The church will still stand, and those who believe in God and in His Word will continue to obey. Remember what he said? Fear God and just simply obey the Lord. Proverbs 12 and verse 28, and then we're going to land this. In the way of righteousness, look at this, there is life. Or in other words, there is the meal that completely satisfies. Along that path is immortality. You see, folks, being filled and satisfied with the Lord is not complicated. It's being a friend with the Lord, pursuing and loving Him the way He loves you, and secondly, just simply doing what He says. Getting involved in church. I cannot overemphasize the importance of becoming accountable and to begin serving somewhere. I'm going to close with this example. And I'm not going to read it. John chapter 4, you can go read it yourselves. I'll paraphrase it. But Jesus makes his way to Samaria where he meets a woman at the well. Someone very, very thirsty. And Jesus turns and utilizes this metaphor that he's taught us in Matthew he utilizes this metaphor on her. She's bringing up water and, and Jesus says to her, you know what, if you, if, you would just, if you would just come to me, I would quench your thirst. You'd never need to drink again. And she looks at him and she says, 
okay, I'll bite. I'll bite. I'll take the step you ask me to take. And Jesus says this. He says, okay, go fetch your husband. Here's a woman who was at the fridge door and opened it up and there was a buffet of husbands there kind of thing, you know? <laughs> she, she had a selection, you know? Jesus says, go fetch your husband. She says, no, I'm not married. He says, no, you're right. You've, been, you've had five husbands. And the man you're now living, so she tried this one. Maybe he had a business. This guy, maybe he was a teacher. I don't know. I can only speculate. But she tried all these different options. And ultimately, Jesus said, you're right. You don't, you've had five, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. This was a woman that was trying everything to be satisfied. And we know how the story ends. She speaks about, but how will I ever be satisfied? We're supposed to meet this prophet. We don't know if he's even gonna come anymore. And he will tell us how eternal life is. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. And guess what? She believes in Jesus. It was the last time she got married. Can someone say, thank the Lord? Because she met Jesus. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you are here this evening, I wanna pray a prayer just simply with you. For those of you who are saying, Pastor Andre, you know, like you, perhaps I'm going through a season in my life where I've gone through a season where I'm not hungering and thirsting the way I should. Won't you pray for me? And I wanna pray for you quickly right now. So if that's you and you're saying, listen, I could be more hungry, I could be more thirsty, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do something in your heart right now. Won't you just stand to your feet quickly? If that's you here and this word has been ministering to you, won't you stand to your feet right now? I wanna pray a personal prayer for each and every one of you. Don't be embarrassed. Come on, it's only you and the Lord. The Lord knows your state. He knows where you're at and He wants to touch your life and transform it tonight, even if it's by virtue of revelation, if that's you tonight. And by the way, I'm standing. I'm not just standing because I'm preaching. I'm standing because I'm standing. I'm standing and I'm saying, here, Lord, do something. If you're watching online, exactly the same thing. Don't sit on your couch. Stand up, in the, stand up in your dining room. Stand up in your bedroom, wherever you're watching. If your spouse is next to you and she's on fire, don't feel like you have to stand up. Let's stand up and let's trust the Lord for something tonight. Can someone say amen? Father, I bring before you each and every one of these people and like, like them, I'm also standing. And I'm saying, Lord, I could hunger and thirst a whole lot more for your righteousness. And you promised that if I did, we would be filled. If we did, we would be filled. Holy Spirit, do a work here tonight. In the name of Jesus, I pray amongst all of us. Stir us, fan us into flame. Let us get back to the basics, Lord, where we have been distracted and have been trying to fill ourselves up with so many other things, whether it be money or success or dating or social media or studies, whatever it may be. Wherever we've used something as an excuse not to press into you, Father, we ask tonight that you would forgive us in the name of Jesus and do something in our hearts. May you become our true north once again as we strive to please you, to love you, and to serve you within the local church. In the name of Jesus and everybody that received that said, amen. Come on, say it again. Say amen. Say, Father, I receive it in Jesus' name. Father, I receive it in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Now my second invitation, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you're here tonight and you've not made Jesus the Lord of your life, perhaps you like that woman in John chapter four who's been trying so many different things, but yet you've never met Jesus, tonight I wanna give you the opportunity to meet him. 
I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm not going to go to where you are. I just simply want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor Andre, pray for me tonight. At the count of three, I want you to raise your hands. One, two, three. Right now, say, Pastor Andre, I want to receive Jesus. God bless you. God bless you. I see those hands. Keep your hand raised in the air. Don't put it up and take it down. Put your hand up and say, Lord Jesus, here I am. Here I am. Save me. I need you to save me. If you need Jesus to save you tonight, He will. God bless you. I see that hand over there, young man. You're saying, Jesus, I need you to save me. I've tried to save myself. I've tried to change myself. I just cannot. I've done everything I can't. I need you. I need you. The Lord is here tonight for you. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, please won't you pray this prayer with me, especially those of you that raise your hands. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've missed your mark for my life. I have fallen short of your standard and I know it all too well. Tonight I ask that you would forgive me and you would save me. Save me thoroughly because Jesus died for me and I believe it and rose again. Tonight I can be born again. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus and save my life. I promise to love you and to serve you until the day I meet you face to face. Come on, let's give them a great big Christian Family Church. Congratulations and God bless you to all of those of you online and those in our venues. Congratulations, come on. One more time, let's congratulate them. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com.